You are listening to the official podcast of First Baptist Church of Cape Girardeau. We are a community of faith, hope, and love located in Southeast Missouri. For more information, visit our website at fbccape.com. We all have different elements of worship that we love. And for me, one of the elements of worship that I love, and I know not everybody is with me on this, but one of the elements of worship that I love is our greeting time. And sometimes you might notice that, you know, in fact, somebody just this morning said, you usually duck out during the greeting time. And that's a matter of volume more than anything else. Um, that might come to you in a second, uh, what I mean by that. But uh, I love the greeting time, and mostly because I love people. I love people. I am an extrovert on the Myers-Briggs personality scale. I am an ENFJ on the Enneagram. I am a three-wing two. I love me some people. And because of that, ministry sometimes tends to play to some of my strengths. Nothing is more fun to me than meaningful, good conversation with people. I love the opportunity to go to coffee with people or to share a meal with people. But even extroverts, we have our limits. And usually by the end of a service on a Sunday, I just can't people anymore. I've been getting stuff ready. And most weeks I'm usually teaching Sunday school of some kind. And I try to be as friendly as I can to all that I encounter. And then I get up here and I preach for about an hour or so. And by the end of the service, I am wiped. I am usually thinking about going home, putting on gym shorts and a t-shirt, making myself a sandwich for lunch and then taking a rest before I have to come back to church for afternoon or evening meetings. It's a saying among pastors that there ain't no nap like a Sunday afternoon nap. And I have to be honest, I kind of used to feel bad for feeling that way. Why don't I have this unlimited supply of energy? Isn't that what it means to be in ministry? That you absolutely pour out everything you have in order to serve and love other people? But through the help of wise mentors and books that I've read, I'm continuing to learn that my emotional health is as important to my well-being as my physical health. And when we pour out everything that we have and never take the time to rest, then we are actually less effective at helping others. I bring that up because I feel especially sorry for Jesus and the disciples this morning. In the first passage that Bob read for us earlier, in Mark chapter 6, the passage starts out this way. The apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. He said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. 
has just happened before our passage is that Jesus has sent the disciples out into the country and has said, Go! Preach the Word. Heal the sick. Cast out demons. Live out the kingdom of God. And where we pick up is as the disciples are trudging back to Jesus, worn out by all this ministry. And he looks at them and he says, you guys need to take some time to rest. So I do want to talk about these two feeding stories that we have in the Gospel of Mark. But before we do, I want to linger on that point for just a moment. One of the main theological points that we find in the Bible is that we are creatures that are created to rest. The practice of Sabbath keeping was one of the most distinctive characteristics of the Israelites. And there are multiple times in the Gospels when Jesus has a need to stop and rest and get away from people and refresh his soul so that he can be healthy enough to spread the gospel. One of my wife Jessica's absolute favorite passages comes from the Gospel of Matthew in Matthew chapter 11. And it says to, in the passage, traditionally it says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. But Jess especially loves the way that it's put in the message paraphrase. It says, Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. And I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me. And you'll learn to live freely and lightly. So I just wanted to begin by first affirming what we have at the beginning of this passage in Mark chapter 6. That the disciples and even Jesus Christ himself needed to sometimes take time to get away and to rest. And friends, so do you. But... But, it doesn't always work out that way, does it? It doesn't always work out that way. In fact, here is what Mark tells us happens. Now many saw them going and recognized them. And they hurried there on foot from all the towns and arrived ahead of them. As he went ashore, he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion for them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. It, it, it doesn't always work out that way, does it? A crowd of people saw Jesus and the disciples trying to find rest. And uh, for us too, whether it's friends who are needy, family who maybe can't seem to get it together, pressing needs in the community, or just toddlers who are desperate for our attention, 
sometimes it's not quite as simple as saying, well, I'm going to go take a rest now. Everybody just put their needs on hold. And there are times when needs are in front of us and we are faced with a choice about whether to act or not. And truly, it is the wisdom of the Holy Spirit on when those times are. At least it is in my life. Because the wisdom doesn't seem to come from anywhere else. Well, Jesus looks out and he sees this crowd and he looks at them with compassion. He views them with compassion because they are like sheep without a shepherd. But that's such a very sweet and polite way to translate what's happening here. First, when Jesus looks at them with compassion, what it actually says in the Greek is that his guts are all twisted up. He looks at them and and he's moved by them, by the needs in the community. And the need that is the most pressing that he sees is that they are sheep without a shepherd. That's not some warm, fuzzy, sanguine, precious moments metaphor. It's a highly politically charged statement. Being a shepherd in the Old Testament is a metaphor for effective and moral leadership. Moses is described as a shepherd. The prophet Ezekiel says that the people are waiting because their current leaders are not effective shepherds. When Jesus says, when Jesus looks at the people and he feels for them because they are sheep without a shepherd, he is indicting the current leadership. They do not have effective leaders to guide the people into integrity. So Jesus begins to teach them. And then suddenly the disciples say, "Uh, these people are getting hungry. We need to send them away so they can go and buy something to eat. And Jesus says to them, well, you feed them. And the disciples balk at this. And Jesus says, well, what food do you have with you? Now, in other tellings of this story, there suddenly appears a little boy who brought his lunch with him. But Mark doesn't tell us that. In fact, the food that from, in this story comes from the disciples themselves. It's the disciples who have the bread and the fish, which is a little bit ironic, actually, because in the passage right before this one, Jesus tells them that when they go out to do ministry, they are not to take any food with them. So here they are showing up with food, but whatever. Jesus then begins to take the food that they brought, and he begins to break the food and distribute it to the crowds. And in the passage in Mark chapter 6, we are told that there are 12 baskets left over and that the crowd numbered 5,000 men. Now, it's important that we understand a few things about this story. First, the feeding that takes place here is more than just giving physical food to fill physical bellies. Yes, meeting physical needs should obviously be a large part of Christian ministry in the world today. But feeding people is also a metaphor for the teaching and the spreading of the gospel. 
Remember that the story begins with Jesus teaching the people. So feeding the people is sort of a metaphor for giving them the bread of life that comes from Jesus, that comes from the kingdom of God. The other thing I want us to pay attention to is where this first story takes place. The first story, the one that Bob read for us, takes place in Judea. The crowd of 5,000 people are Judeans. They're Jews. Now that's a very important detail because Mark contains, as you heard, more than one feeding story. There's another one that Avery read for us. The second story, the one in Mark chapter 8, does not take place in Judea. In fact, it takes place in the Decapolis, which is Gentile territory. We were there last week with the man who was possessed by demons. Mark has intentionally chosen to tell us two different stories of Jesus feeding two different crowds and they have different numbers in them and the numbers are not there by accident the numbers are meant to tell us something in the first story the disciples produce five loaves of bread just like the five books of Moses that we find in the Old Testament there are 12 baskets left over in the first story just like the 12 tribes of Israel. This first story is clearly meant to be understood as the Israelites being fed by God. It's almost a hearkening back to the Israelites wandering in the wilderness and God feeding them. That's the first story. In the second story, there are seven baskets left over. And in the Bible, whenever we hear the word seven, we should always be remembering that seven is a number meaning wholeness, and it is also a hearkening back to creation. So it's sort of this all-encompassing reference, not to one people group, but to all of humanity. And the crowd is numbered as 4,000 in the second story. Scholars think that this 4,000 number is probably a reference to the four cardinal directions north south east and west meaning that this story is about all people in all directions being fed by Jesus now, this is a really really important point for us to think about and here's why one of the things we have to remember when we read the bible is that the bible was written for us but not to us. The Bible was written for us, but not to us. What I mean by that is that the Bible was written for you and I's benefit, so we can gain from, gain from it, grow from it, gain knowledge of who God is from it. But the Bible was not written to us. It was not written with people like you and me in mind. Each of these books were written to a specific audience by a specific author dealing with specific things in their time and place. 
So when we read the Gospel of Mark, we need to read it not just as Christians in the year 2019. We also need to read it as the early church who likely gathered together in some room and got this story of the life of Jesus for the first time and huddled together to hear it read. And one of the questions we have to ask is not just how does this passage sound to you and I in 2019, but how would this passage have sounded in that little room, hearing it for the first time? And one of the issues that we know that the early church was wrestling with was the issue of membership. Who's the gospel for? Who belongs? Who did Jesus come for? And there were some people who said, look, Jesus was a Judean, and so this new Jesus movement is really for the Judeans, for the Jews. But others were saying, this goes beyond that. This is for the whole world, not just one people group. This is also for the Gentiles. And the early church was wrestling with this. And they had a lot of conflict about this. Who belongs? Who belongs to this Jesus movement? Who can be a member? And if we are perfectly honest, do we maybe still struggle with the same thing? Who belongs? Who is this for? Churches across the world have heated debates and arguments about this. Some churches say that people can only be a member if they are baptized by immersion. Others say you have to go through a confirmation class. Some people say that you have to be baptized through immersion, but only in our water. Because our water comes from a special tap or something. I don't know. Others say that in order to belong to a church, you have to have this level of sin in your life. Or you can struggle with this kind of sin, but not this one. And the early church was struggling with the same thing. And the writer of the Gospel of Mark organized his book in this way on purpose. He included a story where Jesus fed the Judeans, the people that everyone expected him to feed, his chosen people, his precious, his blessed people. But then he sucker punches us. He includes a story where Jesus does the exact same thing, the exact same miracle for people who many feel like don't deserve it. Who many feel like are unclean, unworthy. People that don't belong. People that don't fit the mold of who we think should be a member. Jesus feeds both crowds. And you know why? Because both crowds need the nourishment of the gospel. People who look and think and act and vote and parent like us need the gospel. People who do not look and do not think 
and do not act and do not vote and do not parent like us need the gospel. And the church, (laughs) the church is the place where all these loose strands come together. The church is the place where all of these diverse groups can merge and be together as one body. But that is only possible if we are willing to be the kind of people who recognize that the church is not for us. And I think that sometimes, not just our church, every church can really struggle with this. I think that sometimes churches miss the point of membership. What if membership at First Baptist Church was not a package of privileges like joining a country club? What if we say membership What if we saw membership at First Baptist Church as an ordination? There's a church that I know of in Los Angeles called Mosaic. And every time somebody comes forward to join their church as a member, they are also ordained to ministry. The same way that they do with their pastors on staff. What if we saw membership that way? What if we saw membership not as a place to belong for us so that we can be around people who are like us? But what if we saw it as an ordination, as a calling to go forth and to serve together? What if when we show up here, we are reporting for duty? Because this crowd needs to be fed. This crowd needs the gospel. But guess what? So does the crowd out there. Fred Craddock was the dean of 20th century preaching, and he was a master storyteller. And one of my favorite stories that he used to tell was about the first church he ever served in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. It was a small rural congregation, uh, and then something happened in that community. The community itself was very small, but something began to happen in the community where people began to move in very quickly. It was this large construction project. And suddenly, a lot of these construction workers and their families started coming to church, started coming to Fred's church. But this was troubling for some of the regulars there. And some of the key leaders started debating about what to do to keep these new people away. One Sunday after services, they convened a business meeting, and one of the men made a motion that unless you were a longtime property owner in that county, you could not become a member of their church. Fred, as their pastor, was dumbfounded and spoke against the motion, but later it passed. They told him he was still a young preacher and that this was really the right thing to do for the church. So he didn't last very long at that church, as you might imagine. But years later, 
Years later, Fred and his wife were, were in that part of the state on a Sunday morning. And he always wondered, what happened to that little church? So he decided to try to find out. They pulled up to the building, and they were surprised to see that the parking lot was absolutely full of cars and trucks. But the sign was different. It now read, Barbecue Restaurant. It was nearly lunchtime, so they figured, why not? The pulpit from which he used to preach was now being used in the entryway, where a young girl stood behind it and asked, How many in your party? The table where the congregation used to feast on bread and wine was now used for different sauces and and pickles and onions and napkins. Fred and his wife sat down to eat, and while they were eating, his wife looked around. She looked around at all the customers that were there in their former sanctuary, And she turned to Fred and she said, You know, it's a good thing this isn't a church anymore, or else all these people couldn't be here. Who belongs? Who belongs? We are fed by the gospel. And when we are fed, we come to the realization that we are fed so that we may help to feed others. I like to imagine that little band of ragamuffins hearing the Gospel of Mark for the first time and it dawning on them what it really says. That this is for everybody. This is for everybody. And that our job is to preach that message to all. Who is it in your life that needs to be fed? Who is it in your life that needs to know the rest and the nourishment that is only found in Jesus Christ? Who is it? Because it's for everybody. That's one of the reasons why we gather together and we eat at this table. This table is not an exclusive club. This table is for everybody. This is a symbol of grace. And grace is something you don't earn and you don't deserve but you get it anyway. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he sat down with his disciples and he picked up some bread and he broke it and he handed it to them and he said, this is my body. And then he picked up the cup and he passed it to them and he said, this is my blood. And whenever you eat this bread, whenever you drink this cup, you do so in remembrance of me. And so that's what we do. We, like that crowd, are hungry. 
we, like that crowd, need to be fed. But guess what? We're not the only crowd. There are other crowds. And there are other people waiting to be told of this good news. Pray with me. God, as we take a moment to reflect on the bread and the cup, on your body and your blood, we ask that you help us to remember the story of the crowds, of the two crowds, one of people that we would expect and one of people that is a total surprise. God, who is it in our own community from here? Walk through those doors and we would be shocked to see them. Who is it, God, who needs to hear the good news that we carry as your people? Who belongs? God, in the midst of these moments, as we take communion, we ask that you help us to remember that your body and your blood is the pathway that we have to our relationship to you. And that is good news for us and for all people. Amen.